0: A couple of weeks ago, I saw a friend who I haven't seen face to face in a while. Uh, We keep in touch through Facebook and text messages, uh, you know, and and, uh, emails and things like that. But when I saw him face to face for this meeting, uh, that we were both at at a meeting together, and I had noticed as soon as I saw him that he had lost that he had lost weight. In fact, everybody noticed, and I commented to him. I said, "Man, Steve," I said. He lost some weight. He said, "Yeah." He said, "45 pounds, so far." And when he's, you know, when he said "so far," it uh, was because he had changed his lifestyle, changed his eating habits. Something I personally have found very difficult to do. Um, it's been, a, you know, a, a challenge for me to be able to do that. If it's pretty much there, I'd like to eat it, and I and I do. So that's. I, I asked him what brought this change about. You know, what, what was it that that made him decide he was going to do this. He said, well, he turned 50 and he went to the doctor for a physical. And when he went to the doctor for the physical and he did the blood test and everything, then all that came back. He said he sat down with the doctor. The doctor looked at him and said, how long do you want to live? Had his attention. He said, well, while he was personally fine with dying, he thought that, you know, his, his wife and family might want him around for a little bit longer, so, you know, wanted to listen to what the doctor had to say, and the doctor told him some of the things he needed to change and some of the things he had, had to do if he wanted to avoid some serious health problems, that if he, was, if he, if he didn't make some of these changes, he was bound for uh, some of the things that he's seen his father and others in his family go through, and uh, he thought that perhaps it was a, a good idea to change. You know, make some changes and, and, uh, or bring misery on yourself. Something we don't always like to hear. You know, make some changes or you're going to bring misery on yourself. Or, you know, but but he, we needed to, he needed to hear it, and he did hear it, and he began to make some changes. Well, today's a little bit of a spiritual checkup for us, if you will, a spiritual health checkup. Whenever God shows you more about yourself, you have a choice. You can either make some choices... Or you can continue on in the misery that you're in. Now, you might say, well, I'm not miserable. Well, you know, you might not be yet. My friend was not miserable yet, did not have some of these health problems yet. But the doctor made very clear to him, if he continued in the way he was going, this is what was going to happen to him. You see, when when God shows us something and, you know, we have that opportunity, we have that choice then that we're going to make that change or, you know, or or we're going to suffer the consequences. And you might say, well, you know, I don't see any problem now. You may not see any problem now, but you will down the line because, you know, it's, God's not joking. And while it may not be obvious to you, yet it's there. My suggestion is that when Jesus shows you something and shows you something about living, it's best to follow him. It is best to follow him. I, I will tell you again, I have never regretted following God. I have never regretted that. I have never regretted choosing his way. I have never regretted living the life he has called me to live. Don't mistake that for thinking that it's easy. Don't mistake that for thinking that, uh, you know, that it may always be the most fun. Because sometimes you know, we, we think, but the Bible talks about the pleasures of sin. And it says the pleasures of sin last but a moment. It doesn't say sin is never fun. What it says is realize what you're doing. The pleasures of sin last but a moment, and then pff, they're gone. You know, they're gone, and then, and then you, have, you have the consequences of that, of what comes along from choosing to live in sin instead of, living, instead of choosing to follow God. I have never regretted following God. I have never regretted choosing His way. I have never regretted living the way that God calls me to live, even though sometimes it isn't easy. It's always best. Let's pray we're going to get into our passage for today. Father, thank you for your word and truth. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your, your gift of life to us, your gift of new life to us, your, your, the forgiveness that is ours, and that you don't walk away, that you continue to guide us, you continue to give direction, you continue to unfold yourself before us. I thank you for your word in which so much guidance comes from. So much wisdom comes from, you you have it there for us. We wrestle to understand it sometimes. I pray that today you might help us to understand it clearly. Well, more clearly than we did when we came in, that we might grasp a little bit more of your truth, a little bit more of your direction and guidance for us, that we would live as people who truly are yours, not just in name, but in living. Uh, So guide our thoughts, our time, our discussion, what goes on in our heads Father, bring your truth to bear on it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. It's on page 1084 in the Pew Bible. 1084. So if you want to turn there or in your device or whatever it is you use, um, you know that that works there. If your little device shuts off, then maybe you'll want to turn to a paper Bible. Just a thought. (laughs) We got that today, didn't we? Uh, Just a thought for you there. Uh, Our relationship with Christ is life-changing important. This is as the, as the information my, my friend got from the doctor was life-changing important to him. What we see in the Word of God is life-changing important to us. Because without Christ, with, you know, without a relationship with Jesus, we are lost. If we don't have that relationship him, with him, we are lost. We are still on our sin. We are at odds with God. We're hostile to God. We have set ourselves up against God. And without a relationship with him, we stand on our own in our sin before God. And that is not where you want to be. But with our relationship with Jesus, you know, it, it's more than simply being forgiven of our sin. It's life-changing. That's how important it is. It's life-changing. We live, we walk through life in a changed way because of what God has done. He gives purpose. He gives direction. He gives us the best way to live and the best way to walk through life every day, each day. Drop down to verse 4 of chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. He says, I am saying this. So that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments. For I may be absent in the body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, ...based on the element, and elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ... ...and you have been filled by him who is the head over every rule and, ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done by hands... ...by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of the Messiah. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him... ...through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead... And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. Now, you may have noticed that the uh, title comes from verse 6 there, where it says, Therefore, if you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in him. Uh, the word walk in Scripture is often used to, to, you know, to mean live. That this is the way you should live in him i like the way the 2011 niv translates this verse it says so then just as you received christ jesus as lord continue to live your lives in him if you've received him as lord continue to live your lives in him walk in him continue to live in him you know, we could we could have worded the title you know live this way now most of us don't like being told how to live so uh, you know, because we think, we, we think of ourselves as, as free and self-sufficient when it comes to how to live. We're grown-ups after all, and we know how to live. Nobody needs to tell me how to live. You know, I'm a grown-up, and that's why when our wife or husband tells us, you know, this is what you should be doing, we, we love them. And, but we think, why don't you just keep that to yourself? I'm an adult. I know how to live. You can't come in my fort anymore. You know, the, the whole, you know, again, my suggestion is that when Jesus shows you something about living, it is best to follow him. It's best to follow him. I want to share just three summary statements with you from what I see in these verses. The first one comes from verses 4 through 7 there, where he says, I'm saying that no one will deceive you, saying this, So no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments. I may be absent in the body, I am present with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. Those are two military terms, two picture words there, where he says how well-ordered. They, that's a, a word that they use for the, the lining up of the troops, that they were in those regimented lines that they were there, that they were where they're supposed to be, that they were in place, that they weren't just wandering around, they were in place and where they needed to be. And when he says there, that they, and, and strengthen your, your faith in Christ, That, that oh, I love the way um, uh, the, the um, Amplified Bible, it uses the word, that, that, that's a strong bulwark there, because that's a word that they used that where that, where they would put their shields together, and they would put their shields together to make a, a bulwark where, that, that nothing could get through. And it, it's a word that, that signals, When they did that, they did it on all four sides so that they were protected. Whoever was in the middle there was protected. And whatever was coming in, nothing was coming in. And he says, this is what I want for you. This is what I want for you. I want you to be well-ordered. I want you to have that strength, that bulwark of your faith in Christ. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, walk, live in him. As you received him, live in him this way, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. My summary statement there is, grow in your faith in Christ. Grow in your faith in Christ. In the Christian life, in our relationship with Jesus, we never stand still. You either move forward or you slip backwards. There is no neutral. There's forward, there's reverse. That's it. There's forward and there's reverse. There is no neutral. You say, well, I'm just waiting. No, you're not. If you're just waiting, you're going backwards. This morning, Dean was was talking, and boy, this is going to come up in a sermon illustration sometime. Where do it for you, but he said, "You you put a you put a candle in a jar." He said, and then you put a lid on it. What happens? It goes out. You see, because it's using up what's there. You think you're standing still, some time for God, and you're not, because you're using up what you're doing. Is you're going out. You're moving forward, or you're moving backwards. You know, you walk with Him, you live with Him, and, and those are your choices. No neutral. And he says, you know, to grow, to continue to go. And through Paul, God tells us here that he doesn't want us deceived by even persuasive arguments. The enemy of our soul loves to make sin seem attractive. You may recall, you know, when the serpent was tempting Eve to ignore what God had clearly told them. God told them not to eat from that tree in the middle of the garden. Any other tree you can have. There's so much there. Any other thing you could have. And you would think, why in the world? Why in the world would you even be tempted by that? Then there's so much other stuff here. You know, there's so much other. Why? why would? But, but then the enemy comes along and the enemy says, you know, in fact, God knows. When you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God. Won't that be cool? You can be like God. How great is that? What a what a what a great thing. You see how Satan tries to make disobeying God sound attractive? You'll be you'll your eyes are gonna be open. You'll be like him. Perhaps you misunderstood him. This is one of the things he brought up. Did God really say that? Did God really say not to eat from that tree? Is that what he, are you sure and that's what he said? We begin to talk ourselves. We begin to talk ourselves into, into, into ignoring God. You know, do you see how good this will be? He says, "Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Sin destroys. It destroys." We had a plumber over. He had to change the drain out in the sink. You know, and this is still under your warranty of the house, but not anymore. So, good luck, buddy. Um, but anyhow, he, he he does it. We have to what are these little pop-up drains. You push it down, and it, and it and you know holds the water, and you push it down again, it pops up, and the water goes out. Well, apparently this works. Now I know. Uh, by this little rubber thing that's down in there, when you push it down, it kind of goes and it goes out to the side. When you push it down again, you know, then it, it just has enough force to go up. Well, the, the plumber looked at me and he said, "No, nah, I don't want to get into your personal business or anything." And I thought, well, maybe he saw something in, under the sink that he shouldn't have. But um, what he said to me then was, "Don't don't wash." Don't, don't wash this with bleach or any chlorine cleansers at all, any, any, any cleansers with chlorine, and he says, because it destroys the rubber. He said, you, you know, you may not be able to see it much, but it, but it, it destroys it, it distorts it, and it, you, you're going to lose your seal on there, he said, uh, you know, and you don't want to do that. You see, sometimes we think something's good, and it's really destroying us. This is how Satan tries to make sin seem. Like this is a good thing, you know. It's a good thing. There's a price to pay, and it's separation from God. We should have such a grip on the truth. What it's telling us here is that we should have such a grip on the truth that we are unmoved by persuasive arguments. That that, that we, you know, the, the, the better you know the the better you know the truth, the easier it's going to be for you to recognize error. The better you know the truth. It's like hey, something's just not right there. Something's just not right here. And he says. He says, you know, the, the, you know, I don't want you to be deceived with persuasive arguments. Don't be deceived. Don't be dragged away. Grow in your faith in Christ. In verses 6 and 7 there, it tells us some of the ways that we can grow, you know, what we can do to help us grow. He says, you received, you received, in the same way you received Christ, continue to walk in him. You received Christ as faith, you know, by faith. That's how you received Christ, by faith. So you continue to walk, you continue to live by faith. In the same way that you received Christ, he says, so walk in him. You receive him by faith, so you walk in him with faith. You walk there, you know, it's... Belief that doesn't have any impact on your behavior is useless. It's useless. You could say you believe something, but if it doesn't have an impact on your behavior, it's useless. It's it's worth nothing. Faith must be connected to practical living. It must be connected to practice, to how we live out our life. He gives us four characteristics there of what it means to walk in Christ in verse 7. Four characteristics of living in Christ. Uh, The first one is rooted. You know that you're rooted, firmly rooted, deeply rooted, some of the translations say. The word means to cause, to strike roots, to strengthen with roots, to establish. It means to cause a person or a thing to be thoroughly grounded. Thoroughly grounded. Not just put in temporarily. They planted some trees by you know in our in our yard, and they said water these water these I was going to say suckers but that's offensive to some people, water these these things you know regularly and he gave me a list how often I was supposed to water them how long I was supposed to let the hose go there and everything else they planted two in the fall and the guy said why I want you to water these. I want you to soak these, um, I think he said once a week, I don't even remember, hope they don't die, Uh, you know, he said, you know, because they, they know they're not rooted yet, because while they look like they were in the ground, you could just go along and you could just grab those and pull it up and go. Firmly rooted. You know that you are firmly rooted. there. It's a very good picture of the definition in Jeremiah 17. He says, he will, t- he will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes. Its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. There's the picture for you. Rooted. Firmly rooted there. It says rooted and built up. Built up. fuller understanding from the amplified bible it says now being continually built up that's what the word that's the tense of the word the tense of the word implies a continual action a continual action we are still under construction we are not a finished product yet now not that we're half done but we're still growing we're not a finished project. I was reading something in the paper the other day about the, the, the new building, the Ash Skyline, and you know, all the complex down there, and it says that they have reached the top four. You know, that, that now it's as high as it's going to be. But what was interesting, and I learned this you know, in Chicago watching them build the high-rises and stuff, they're still building this up there, and you know what they're doing down below? It's still getting built. I mean, they don't just stop and wait until that's up. Last girder. Now we're in. You know, that's not what they do. When they're up there, they're laying girders, and these other guys are down there and they're putting in walls, and they're putting in plumbing, and they're putting in electrical, and all of this other stuff. And they're doing, here's the picture for you. That, we're, you know, we're, we're, he's continuing to make us into the person that he wants us to be. Not half done, but still in process. It says rooted, built up, and established. The NIV has strengthened. The the word means to confirm, to establish, to make secure. You know, we are strengthened in the faith, and our faith strengthens us. You understand that? We're strengthened in our faith. And our faith strengthens us. Uh, you know, as we get strengthened more and more, as we work to strengthen our faith, then we get into those situations and into those times and into those, those, those problems where our faith then strengthens us and helps us to stand and helps us to go deeper in Him. And those who are established in the faith are not likely to be deceived because you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free from that deception. You will know it. You become established by reading and studying His Word. You don't become established by just sitting there. I had to water those trees so that they would be rooted and established. And He said, if they don't, He said, they're, you know, they're going to die. And when He planted the ones in the fall, and He told me to water them all the time, He says because He said I don't want those trees to be freeze dried. He said, you know what I mean? He says I want that ground to be wet when the freeze hits. He says oh, they're dry, he says going to kill those roots. Uh, yeah, and and, and when, when we, you know, when we're growing in him, when, when, we, when we soak ourselves in his word, you, then, then we grow. That's how you become established, rooted, built up, established, overflowing with gratitude, it says. Gratitude is a sign of a healthy spiritual life. It's one of the signs of a healthy spiritual life, gratitude. You know, not these sourpuss, lemon-sucking-faced Christians. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is people who know what it means to be in Christ. And you can only be overflowing in gratitude when you are rooted, being built up, and established in Christ. You have a connection in, 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 order, in order to fill that connection, to be overflowing You have to be filled. You have to be filled before you can ever overflow. You need need a continuing, you need a continuing growing connection to to stay filled, overflowing. And it takes continual input. It takes continual input to be overflowing. You see, you can take something and you can pour, you can pour into it and you can fill it, only if you have the lid open. And you can you can fill it. And it's full. But the only way it gets to overflowing is if you keep pouring. That's the only way it ever gets to overflowing. You know what happens if you stop? It stops overflowing. And he says it's supposed to be continued to, to overflow with thankfulness. The only way you're going to continue to overflow with thankfulness. No, we're going to be all right. The only way you're going to continue to overflow with thankfulness is if you continue the input. Because if you stop the input, you see, it stops. You, you, you stop the whole picture there. He says, be continually, be continually overflowing. Keep that input going in. Growing in your faith in Christ. Work to overflow. Work to to overflow. Grow in your faith. The second summary statement, my, my summary of verses 8 to 10 there, he says, be careful, be careful. A good thing when you read, be careful in the Bible, you know what a good thing to do is? Be careful. That's right. Be careful. That's that's, that's a good thing. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deceit, based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Know the fullness of Christ. Grow in your faith in Christ and know the fullness of Christ. You see, it's taking you deeper, deeper to know His fullness. Not just know it in your head. Know it in your living, in your experience with Him. Know what it means. This flows right from the previous verses. If you're rooted, if you're continually built up, if you're established in the faith, you will overflow with gratitude. And you won't be carried away by false teaching. Now, verse 8, it's not a denunciation of all philosophy. The word that translated philosophy there, it, 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 it just means the love and pursuit of wisdom. The love and pursuit of wisdom. Be careful that no one takes you captive through the love and pursuit of wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom are good things. They, you know, they're, they're good things. Until we pursue knowledge more than we pursue God. Until knowledge becomes our God. until what we think of as knowledge begins directing our life you know then we begin to put our reasoning in place of true knowledge and when we come to conclusions that are opposed to or deny God and his truth you see when we when we love our limited wisdom and understanding more than we love God's truth we're in trouble then our knowledge becomes empty deceit because there's no truth to support it One of the verses from our Sunday school class again this morning, if that light within you is darkness, how dark that truly is. If what you think of as wisdom is really not wisdom, but it's a false reasoning of, 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 of your own mind. In scientific study, they observe the facts. And as they observe the facts, they form a theory about things they cannot yet prove. And and they can't yet prove it with the facts, but the evidence seems to support a theory, but it, it is still a theory until it's proven. It remains a theory. It remains a guess. It remains an opinion. Now, there is nothing wrong with that. You need to understand that. That's science. There is nothing wrong with that process. You look, you observe the facts, and, you, and you, you make a theory about what these facts seem to present to you. Now, where the problem comes in is that when, when this theory, when the opinion is raised to the level of fact, even if it's widely accepted, then you have stepped over into what it says in verse 8 there, empty deceit based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. We need to be careful. We need to be careful there. Verse 9, another very clear statement about the deity of Jesus, stating he's God for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in him, it says. You see, this tells us that he's more than an inspired teacher. Now, if you know math, you know what that, that, little, that little, what do you call that, that carrot, whatever it is, that little pointy thing, you see, that means, that means more than. He is more than an inspired teacher. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses would like us to believe that, you know, that he is simply an inspired teacher. He's more than an inspired teacher. He's more than a prophet. This is what the Muslims, you know, believe. They believe that Jesus is just a, he's a prophet. You know, he's a good dude. He's a prophet. He is more than a prophet. He's even more than a supernatural being. This is Eastern religions and many in the New Age movement. You know, yeah, he's a you know he's an enlightened being, he's supernatural dude. You know, and he is more than all of these things. It tells us here the fullness of God. Did you get that? Fullness of God dwells in him in bodily form. He is God, capital G. He is God. It's a a statement about the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. You know, that he is both man at the same time that he has walked this earth for, you know, for those 33 plus years. He is man and yet he is God. The fullness of God dwells in bodily form. The picture of both both his fullness and, you know... As Jesus Christ is in us, that's what we looked at last week, you know, that that Christ is in us. And as Jesus Christ is in us, we have this fullness, we have this completeness in Christ, in Him. Now you have the empty deceit in verse 8 here contrasted with the fullness of Christ in verse 10. Forward or reverse? The fullness of Christ? Or you have that empty deceit? You're going forward or you're going backwards. We're called to walk in the fullness of Christ. You're called to go forward in him. Grow in your faith in Christ. Know the fullness of Christ. And that brings us to verses 11 to 15. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of the Messiah. We have been buried with him in baptism. You were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. He triumphed over them by the cross. My summary, go forward in Christ's triumph. Go forward in his triumph. In their reasoning, circumcision, which he talks about here, that was a badge of a person dedicated to God. That those who were dedicated to God were circumcised. That comes in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we see circumcision as a mark of the covenant between God and his people. And there's the, the picture there. It was to be a physical sign of a spiritual commitment to the covenant of God. That you had this spiritual commitment to the covenant of God and it was symbolized by, that, by that, 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 that physical circumcision there. And what we see in the Old Testament even carried through into the New Testament is that people began to rely on that physical act on the circumcision rather than having their heart dedicated to, that, to, to God and dedicated to the word and the covenant of God and the promises of God. And we see that, and you see that through even into the New Testament when you say these guys, these Gentiles, these other folks, they need to be circumcised. You see, because what they were doing is they, they had tripped over that line. But what we see, what we see even in the Old Testament into the New Testament is God's calling his people to have their hearts circumcised, calling to a spiritual commitment to him. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, it says, therefore, circumcise your hearts don't be stiff-necked any longer. Why sir, don't be stiff-necked, don't be stubborn. Circumcise your heart. Have that heart commitment. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 10. He says, "Who can speak to and give such a warning that they will listen?" Look, their ear is uncircumcised. So they can't pay attention. See the word of the Lord has become contemptible to them. They find no pleasure in it. They ignore what God has to say because it's not going in because it wasn't something of the heart. In Ezekiel, he says, Whoop, there it is. Well, we're going to get to Romans. But in Ezekiel, just it's Ezekiel 44, 7. I'm not going to go backwards because I don't want to mess anything up here. When you brought in foreigners, uncircumcised in both heart and flesh, to occupy my sanctuary, you defiled my temple while you offered my food, the fat of the blood. You broke my covenants with all of your detestable practices. You broke my covenant with what? Your living. You said that you had this commitment to you, but you broke it by your living. Your living wasn't in line with me. And they were in Romans, carried over into Romans. He says, on the contrary, a person who is a Jew is one inwardly in the circumcision of his heart by the Spirit, not the letter. That man's praise is not from men, but from God. He says, you have to have that circumcision of the heart. A person, is, a person is committed to God who has that circumcision of the heart. I know I'm talking fast and I'm sorry, but listen quickly. You know, it, it's the, whole, the whole picture here you know, is the dedication to God. It doesn't come from cutting off a bit of the flesh, but rather from cutting out of our life all of those things which are against the will of God because it's something from the inside. And we remove those things which are against the word of God. To go forward in Christ, you need a heart that is totally surrendered to God. Shown by the way we walk, shown by the way we live as we continue to be rooted, established, built up, and overflowing in gratitude to Christ. The second half of verse 11, he says, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of the Messiah. That's a reference to Jesus' death on the cross where he put off his body of flesh. That's where he put off his body of flesh. It says that, that, that he said, it is finished, and then what does it say? And he dismissed his spirit. He put off that body of flesh. And that, that's what he's talking about here. And then he references our baptism, he says, as an indication that's parallel to circumcision, he says. A physical act signifying dedication to God. Baptism is important. It's important, but it doesn't dispense any grace to you. You see, baptism is just, it, it, what baptism is, is that physical act signifying a dedication to God. You're baptized signifying that you died with Christ, you know, that you're buried with Christ, that you're raised with Christ because you want to live your life for him. It doesn't add anything to you. It simply, it simply expresses what should be on the inside of the heart. But the problem is, you see, that we can begin to rely on that physical act of baptism. We can begin to rely on the physical act of taking communion. And we can begin to rely on those instead of our living and having a changed heart for God instead of continuing to growing to be continually rooted established built up and overflowing with gratitude it is the power of god that changes us not the power of the water not the elements of communion those are not the things that change us i hope you see how how all of these how all of these parts this whole section ties together here now we have a tremendous picture in verse 14 that i don't want to i don't want to stop without getting that He says he erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. A certificate of debt that it talks about there, that was a legal document that they used. It was a legal document. It was an acknowledgement of debt, like an IOU that we have. But for them, you see, it was written in the hand of the debtor. Just like an IOU is. If I give Jeff an IOU, I'm writing it out and I'm saying, I owe you, you know, six and a half bucks. And, and, I, and I give it to him. I'm the one who writes it out and I'm the one who signs it. That's what, it, that's what this, this, this certificate, you know, this certificate of debt was. Now, parchment, which is what they wrote on, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have paper. We use paper, you know, like it's free. Uh, they didn't have paper. They used parchment, and parchment was expensive, and it wasn't widely available. And what they would do is they would write this certificate of debt on on the parchment. They would write it on the parchment, which was in the parchment that they had was the typical parchment of the day. The ink would not penetrate into that parchment. So what they would do, you see, with a parchment, when when the debt was paid off, they would wash that parchment clean again, and that certificate, that certificate of debt, would be would be washed clean, and they could they could then reuse that parchment once the debt was paid. Now, you'll recall when Jesus was crucified, the Romans followed their usual practice of nailing a sign on the cross that stated his crime. And the crime, the, the sign that was nailed on the cross, you see, we don't always get that connection because the sign that was mailed, nailed on the cross said that he was king of the Jews. But you remember, the Jews objected to that sign. They didn't want that sign up there. They said, no, 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 don't say that he's, you know, he's the king of the Jews. Say that he said he was the king of the Jews. They wanted, it because that, that, that was the picture, and that was, you know, that was the picture of the, of the person's crime there. And they didn't want that up there. Now you put those two things together, and you have the picture here in verse 14. You see, for us, we have we have this we have, we have this uh, this certificate of debt, you know, and it's called, it's our sin, and and with our sin, we, that's what we have, and th- 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 and this is our certificate of debt, and so what it is, th- the certificate of debt. No, notice what it says: it was nailed to the cross. So here's the picture for you: when Jesus died, all of us, all of those lists of sins we had. You know, and you can listen while, and, it, said, and it, was on, it was on a certificate, and it says, and he nailed that to the cross as the picture of why he was crucified, of his crimes, my sin, your sins, list it out. That certificate of debt that we had to God because we violated his word. We violated his truth. We came against him with our, with our, with our own arrogance and our own knowledge and our own, our own thinking. And it says, and every one of those were nailed to the cross. That's the picture he gives us here, you know, that each one of those, in God's eyes, it's our certificate of debt. It's our IOU that was nailed to the cross, that, 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 that said that sins were Jesus, what Jesus were died for. And notice what it says. It says there that, that our sin that our sin was washed clean by the blood of Christ, that it was gone, that it was that it was taken away because of what Christ has done. And it's clean, he says, and it's gone, and it's as, as if it were never there. That's the picture. That's the picture that he gives us here in verse fourteen. That our sin is washed clean for us, the true guilty party. We have forgiveness. We have freedom by Jesus' death on the cross for us, for our IOU, for our sin. Now look at verse 15. By that sacrifice on the cross for our certificate of debt, it says he disarmed the rulers and authorities. And disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him, by his sacrifice on the cross. He triumphed over the enemy. It's the picture, it's the picture of a, of a triumphal leader coming in, and of those that he conquered following along, defeated. The enemy of our souls is defeated. He is defeated don't be deceived by his persuasive arguments don't be don't be deceived by his philosophy by his empty deceit based on human tradition do do what it tells us do you know do what we're supposed to do he says it'll be alright he says you know that we should grow you have to know how to spell and know and go Because of what Christ has done. Because of what he has given us. Grow in your faith in Christ. Know the fullness of Christ in your living and go forward in his triumph. Walk in him. Let's pray.